listening to First Church Charlotte. Greetings, everyone. Pastor Nathan here. We are in Mark chapter number nine. Jesus has just been just been transfigured on the mountaintop, and the disciples have seen the glory of God manifest here on earth. We're starting in uh, verse number seven, and we will read down. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Suddenly when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. Now as they came down from the mountain, he, Jesus, commanded them that they should tell no one the things they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, saying, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Then Jesus answered and told them, Indeed, Elijah is coming for first and restores all things. And how is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has also come and they did to him whatever they wished as it is written of him. I'm going to entitle this Bible study, uh, Care Enough to Go Deeper. I could have also titled it, Care Enough to Ask a Question. I could have entitled it, Don't Hide from Your Questions. Uh, but you get the idea. After being told not to reveal what they had seen on the mountaintop, uh, they find themselves, Peter, James, and John, find themselves with questions, lots of questions. Uh, this image of them, I think, is helpful because I have never been in a church. I have never been in a religious organization of any type where the believers, the church members, the students uh, in that organization did not talk among themselves on what they thought this meant, what they thought that meant. Uh, it is part of humanity to question, to wonder, to test ideas. Uh, we should not be quick to uh, become angry at people because they are pursuing ideas and asking questions among themselves. Yes, some questions are more dangerous than others, but if the person is asking a question, uh, it's because there is something in them that needs an answer. And God is not afraid of the question. Truth is not intimidated. Truth stands strong. These disciples, they have questions about what Jesus has said to them, what he has revealed to them. And the Bible gives us this image of them talking among themselves. And the first subject of uh, wonder or question is this subject of what does it mean to rise from the dead? Remember, Jesus had told them he was going to Jerusalem. He was going to be betrayed. 
He was going to suffer. He ultimately was going to die, but he would rise from the dead, dead rise from the dead, rise from the death. He had, uh, he had, and he would uh, experience. They're not sure what this means. And I want you to notice that in the text we read, uh, they don't ask about it. This is not the question that they ask. Now, the issue is not whether they believe in the future resurrection. I've heard this taught where that's what the uh, assumption is that they're talking about the future, future resurrection. They're not sure if they believe. That's not <laughs> what they're talking about. We know from other passages that Jesus strongly believed in resurrection from the dead. You can read about it, Mark. Uh, actually, we will coming up soon in this very chapter uh, 9 of Mark. Uh, later on in the chapter, other passages of Scripture, you see this issue of resurrection from the dead. Remember, the Sadducees did not believe in resurrection of the dead, and the Pharisees did. And this uh, is one of the few areas where they actually find themselves in alignment theologically uh, with Jesus. And so the issue for the disciples is not whether they believe in the future resurrection from the dead, the question for them is what does this mean for us in the here and now? What does Jesus mean when he says he's going to rise from the dead? Furthermore, we just saw uh, Elijah and Moses communing with God. We just saw a manifestation of life beyond this flesh beyond the timing of our days. We, we, we've seen these things. We have questions about resurrection from the dead. But this is a question that though they talk one another about, they do not ask Jesus about this. Notice that. Uh, the next question, perhaps as their conversation moved and, and flowed between them, their next question was this issue of you know, the religious scholars of our day won't believe in a Messiah because they say there's a sign they're looking for. And what is that sign that they're looking for? They're looking for Elijah to come and to be an entryway, shall we say, a door of opening to the Messiah that would come. They had signs that they preferred over other signs, and they could not take Jesus seriously as a uh, Messiah because they could not see the ministry of Elijah in the ministry of John the Baptist. This is what the disciples actually ask Jesus about. Now, I want to point out to you that you know and I know that uh, Elijah had already come. He had come in the form of uh, John the Baptist. This was not what the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees were looking for. They needed a more definitive demonstration of the prophetic role. They needed Elijah as that archetypical prophet who would usher in the coming of Messiah. They needed a better demonstration than a sort of wild man preaching outside the cities saying, all of you need to repent. Not just the people who know they're sinners. All of you are sinners. You all need to repent. In fact, 
all of you need to go back to the very foundations of covenant and, 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 and approach God as though you weren't entitled. You weren't of the house of Israel. You should be baptized like a Gentile converting to Judaism would be baptized. You should be baptized as a sign that God owes you nothing. You must repent. Well, they cannot receive that because they want to celebrate with Elijah, not hear a message of repentance from Elijah. <clears throat> we all of us need to humble ourselves before the Lord. And we all of us need to be quick to admit what we know and what we don't know. Uh, we need to be quick to stand on faith whether or not we have knowledge. This is not a small issue. Uh, There's so many people who they think once they know enough, then they can serve God in knowledge. Knowledge will not keep you where you need to be kept, but faith will. Uh, there is an element of knowing that is incumbent upon a disciple. There is an element of learning that is incumbent upon a disciple. Uh, the word disciple comes from the Greek word uh, mathetes or pupil, student, um, and Vine's Expository Dictionary. A disciple denotes one who follows another's teaching. Jesus expects his disciples to be learners, to seek, to know, and to study. Matthew 11, he <clears throat> commands the disciples to learn from him. Matthew 28, he commands the disciples to learn the things that he had taught them, that he was trying to teach them further. New Testament church, the apostles teaching new believers and preachers coming up under their, their tutelage. 2 Peter 3, verse number 18, we need to grow in knowledge. Uh, Colossians 1 and 10, Philippians 3 and 8, we need to increase in the knowledge of God and of Christ. Uh, we are not against knowledge, but we must understand knowledge does not do for us what faith does. Knowledge is a sense of having known or learned or even mastered a subject. Faith is a commitment. It is a belief structure that you hold to whether or not you feel like it, whether or not you understand mysteries. Faith <clears throat> is a choice of your life. It is a manner of being, a manner of walking, and a manner of living. Excuse me. We see disciples as needing to learn, but not basing their faith in Jesus upon whether or not they understand everything. In fact, one of the most common tests Jesus will give the disciples is whether or not they can believe when they do not understand. How do you do? How do I do on keeping the faith when we do not understand? The whole image of Jesus offending the, his crowd and saying, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, that was not accidental. And there was a reason why the Lord's Supper connects to that image. The Jews would never eat flesh. They would never eat drink blood. That is unclean in all regards. And here God is going to use the unclean to do something great. This is not just one story in the Bible. It is a spiritual principle. God will always use the thing that <clears throat> in some way you don't think he should. You'll be like uh, the uh, 
the, the, the general who won't take a dip in the river because it's too muddy. You'll be like the person who can't be get a touch from God unless you approve of the person he uses to give you a word. If you cannot receive the one giving the word, then you have no chance of receiving the word. And what we often do is sit in judgment of those things that God would use. This is opposite of what Jesus taught us. This is the exact opposite. Jesus taught us that we should believe that even a child can touch the throne of God and perhaps better than we adults with all our knowledge. Uh, this is uh, again and again in uh, the scripture. So a disciple cannot simply believe when they understand. They have to believe when they don't understand and yet they must strive to learn, to grow, and yes, to understand. Jesus was not afraid of questions. I don't know exactly what your upbringing was like, but um, it's not uncommon for people who grow up in religious uh, homes or in certain churches to actually feel like they cannot ask a question or they'll be accused of, of having a bad spirit. Um, I, I understand questions can be fearful, but I would remind all of us, as I said earlier, if a person asking a question is because there's something in them that needs to seek and eventually find an answer. Jesus used questions a lot when he taught. Uh, on the issue of healing on the Sabbath, he started by asking the question. Uh, regards to his identity, this is Matthew 16, Matthew 22. He starts by the question. In regards to the most um, contentious issue of his day, whether or not uh, any cause divorce was allowed by the law of Moses, as opposed to the regular divorce that was within the law of Moses, um, he, he expressed his opinion on the issue by starting with a question. In regards to taxes, this would have been the most religiously contentious, excuse me, politically contentious. Marriage would have been the most religiously contentious and taxes would have been the most politically contentious. He does not start with answers. He starts with questions. Uh, you can read about that, Luke chapter number 20. In regards of authority and our role to authority, uh, he starts by asking questions. This is in Matthew uh, 21. Questions are important learning and teaching tools, and disciples learn by facing their questions. And so, repeatedly in the Bible, you see disciples bringing Jesus questions. Mark 4, they ask about his parables. Mark 9 here, they ask about Elijah. Uh, also in Mark 9, they ask about their inability to cast out a demon. We'll talk about that more. Uh, Mark 10, they ask about divorce specifically. John 9, they ask about a man being born blind and whose responsibility that tragedy was. And Mark 13, they ask about the the destruction of Jerusalem and what will that mean. My point with all of this detail is to try to hammer home, that, home this truth. We can't be, an, uh, um, we can't 
build a religious context where questions are uh, in some way a sign of a bad spirit. Um, questions, even if we cannot answer them, uh, should be uh, taken seriously and they should be they should be received. Questions are a great way to learn. Um, sometimes the question will cause people to stumble for a time or perhaps even lose their faith. That does not mean they should not ask the question. The question, if they're asking them, asking it, will not do anything to them that they are not already at risk and being exposed to. That is why they are asking the questions. Uh, I'll share a personal story on this um, the issue of questions. When I went to um, college, uh, it was a Bible school in religious college and I had some friends who um, they they decided to take me on as a project um, I was a little bit too much of a nerd for them I think and oh well what can one do so they did an intervention one day and they they talked to me about how much I got on their nerves in class they told me it wasn't cool they told me that I suggest I should just shut up um, and that asking questions the questions I asked made everybody irritable and what I please just stop asking questions I was uh, not cool um, and I they got to me for a while they did they, they really did I, I was insecure I wanted to be cool <clears throat> I wanted to you know hang out with that group because they were you know and uh, I was little old me from you know I felt like from a small church from a district nobody knew anybody in or at least not us and um, so I was insecure and I, I fell into just sitting there and it nearly drove me crazy uh, because <clears throat> questions would be going off like fireworks in my head like a contagion of fireworks I mean just this and that and that and this and uh, <clears throat> I had a, a professor who noticed um, <clears throat> and he he mentioned it to me and I, I, I told him that I was being teased. I did it in a fun way. I'm like, yeah, well, some people tease me. And uh, he asked me to please ignore them and go back to asking questions. He said, because a question is a sign. And he, he was a he was a great professor. Uh, he said, a, a, a question is a sign you care enough to ask. He said, notice that people who don't care don't have any questions. People who aren't interested don't have any questions. For them, a lecture is to be endured. There's very few people in my class, is what he said to me, who it is a joy to ask questions and respond because you're interested, you care. Now, so the end of that story is I, I, I my brief foray at being cool crashed and burned and I, I soon went back to asking all those irritable questions and I got teased for it, but it was okay. It was fine. Um, it was just a personal lesson for me. Um, I had not been raised in a religious environment where questions were a bad spirit. My, my, my father particularly, had uh, been willing to talk about nearly anything and that that was in some way implanted in me and it came out in the rest uh, the rest of my life and maybe is uh, one of the reasons why I strive I don't always succeed but I strive to be a lifelong learner we are not afraid of questions now I want to point out a couple things about this um, this moment there was a question they had that they did not ask about. That is the issue of the resurrection from the dead and what does it mean? 
And then there was a question that they did ask about, and that was about how can the Messiah come if Elijah hasn't yet come? That's what our critics say about us, the disciples express. Now, there was no answer to their first questions. They eventually um, would get answers later, but there was no answer in this moment, which teaches us this lesson. If we don't ask, the answer will not be given. Now, this isn't my opinion. This is biblical. <laughs> Ask and ye shall receive. Knock and the door will open. Notice they did not get an answer to the question they did not ask. God will not force us to embrace truths that we are not ready for. Um, I, I think one of the best ways about this is the manner in which he talks about John the Baptist. He talks about John the Baptist without ever identifying that John the Baptist is who he's talking about. In fact, it almost sounds as though, and if you read the, the, the synoptic gospels where the, the parallel accounts are given, um, it's almost as though Jesus doesn't tell them. He just said, look, Elijah's already come and they mistreated him. It's almost as though Jesus doesn't explain it, but if you read Matthew's account, you'll find this place where Matthew says the disciples realized he was talking about John the Baptist. I love that because uh, sometimes answers are not meant to um, be simple for us. They're not meant for us just to, you know, ask somebody who knows and that's the end of it. Uh, even the answer is given to us where we have to express faith and character to keep pursuing and keep asking and keep praying. Uh, we must make a commitment that is not built upon knowledge. There's a lot of things I want to know and I don't know. But my commitment to God and my life of faith cannot be built upon whether or not I know enough. There's going to be things God never explains. Now, this is hard for some people. There's some personality types that it really disturbs them. And I, I always come across this in people. They'll ask me a specific question and I will give them both sides of the debate that exists within the larger uh, church and even scholarly community. And that's not what they wanted. And I've had people get mad at me <laughs> because I would not pick a side and be done with it. You see, they did not want to be held in the tension of seeking and asking. They just wanted to be done with it. Um, spiritual questions are very much about asking, seeking, and knocking. They're not about picking a winner and then knocking heads. <laughs> you knock on the door of the question. You do not knock your neighbor over the head with your version of the answer. Uh, we do not continue because we agree on issues. We do need to agree on issues. We need to do all we can for um, the unity of the body. That's a good thing. Um, I'm not saying that there aren't broad, broad issues that are settled. Uh, there are. And if you have questions about them, either my or one of the pastoral team can give you a quite detailed Bible study. But knowledge will not keep you. You need to build your life upon faith. I choose to believe. And like Peter, having had his very theological foundations challenged by this command of Jesus, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part of me. 
The Lord does not defend it and the Lord does not explain. At least not there. Later, sure, but not there. He simply says to Peter, do you also want to walk away? Choose. And Peter does that most beautiful thing. He says this, where am I going to go? There's a lot I don't know, but you have shown me more than any other source of authority or knowledge I have ever found. And so I choose you. I believe in you. I stand upon my faith. I'll understand everything else better by and by. And so I want to show you in the word of God how good faithful men, apostles, disciples, they too had questions. And they had answers given for some questions. And they never had answers given for some questions. But they remained steadfast, unmovable. That's the will of God for your life and my life. I'm going to seek. I'm going to ask. I'm going to knock. I hope you feel the same way. But my faith is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and His holiness. My faith keeps me. Knowledge I seek, but I build upon the promises of God and I choose Jesus. He is my hope, my joy. In the meantime, teachers, parents, Bible study teachers, small group leaders, don't be afraid of questions. Even if you don't have the answer, there's some questions that that person needs to wrestle with and still choose God. Do you see? If it was necessary for the disciples, it's necessary for us. That's important. Let's embrace it in Jesus' name. Have a great week. We love you. I pray God's blessings upon you. Seek to manifest the kingdom of God in your world. Let the love of God roll through you like a heavenly tide and make a difference in your world and in your family. Parents, uh, there's a talk uh, that's on the website. You can take these same themes and talk to your children about it. We need to spend time with our children in the Word of God. God bless you. We love you. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.